Radio. What is going on? Everybody, we are back. I almost said Patreon, but we're not there yet. Nope, that's next. <laughs> this is episode 234 of the Dark Windows podcast. My name is Kevin. If you don't know by now, I'm Kevin. Yes, and he's got a very fancy sweatshirt on tonight. It's nice. I like it is. It. It, it, it looks comfy. I'm just saying it's a very fancy sweatshirt. It's a very fancy sweatshirt that it's not really fancy. It's a Patagonia. I bought it for cheap. I mean, you're, you're, you're big dick and me over here in my fucking Walmart special. Well, I bought this because I needed a sweatshirt, and I didn't have one. I'm, I'm not saying anything. And I'm just saying I, it's a I, nice I spent, sweatshirt. I, well, let me get to it. Jesus. I spent... The only reason why I bought it was because uh, it was on sale, and I spent only like 50 bucks on it. That's not bad. I could buy Maybe five of less. these. It was less. I could buy five of these for that, because these were the, like, the, like the $10 specials at Walmart. Well, I bet you they're not $10 anymore compared to when you bought that. No, I, I got the, it was like 11 bucks when I bought it this year. Because I ripped through these fucking sweatshirts. Because I wear just these basically as a winter coat. Um, mm. But now it's Patagonia. It's very nice. I don't know. Very nice. It? It, it says Patagonia on your tit, dude. I yeah, don't know. It's a Patagonia. Dude, I just fucking picked. <laughs> I was like, hey, I like it. I'm not picking on you. I'm saying it's a nice sweatshirt. Take no. the compliment. Jesus. I'm saying I didn't know. I just picked it. I just <sighs> I just went like this. Hey, it's my size. Boom. I didn't know it was Patagonia. You didn't even try it on before you, you bought it? Fuck no. Who tries shit on? I, I try sweatshirts on, you fucking psychopath. It's a fucking hoodie. What if it's too tight when you get home? <sniffs> eh, no, I, I try I try my shit on. This is a 3X. It's cozy. I can get, like, extra shit underneath it if I want. This is only a 2X. You know? It's but I, I can have zip-ups. I can't do pullovers. They make can, me claustrophobic for some I reason. Do, I can do pullovers. I can do oh. hoodies. They didn't have any of those. Yeah. I would have got one of those, but oh, they didn't have any. I like zip-ups. I'm a... I like a zip-up. I'm a I'm a I'm a zip up guy, yeah. and I also like you know hoodies. It, it, I mean, I there's something about having where you can't get out of it quick it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know. Uh, I'm uh. fucking weird. I'm finally getting used to wearing a watch again, where it's like I can't. Eh, I get it caught and stuff, and I, I feel weird now not wearing a watch. Yeah, and then I I forget it on the charger, and I'm like, what the fuck, man? My hands light. Or if I don't charge it, and then I have to put on the charger and then go all day without it. Yeah, so. I char- I just char- I throw mine on the charger at night. I don't charge it every night just because I, I, I get a, so with my Google watch, I get a couple days, two, three days. I get about, you know, about the same way I, I watch. If I go to bed and it's at like 19%, I throw it on the charger. Cause yeah. that's, that's only like five hours. I'm not going to get through the day with yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But so speaking of something that has nothing to do with sweatshirts <laughs> or watches, um, a couple weeks ago's Patreon episode where we talked about, um, the white tights where they were involved in the Soviet Afghan war. I was like, you know, that'd be, that'd be kind of an interesting thing to do some research into because I really don't know all that much about it. And then I found a dude. Okay. So I was like, we're going to talk about a little bit of that, but a lot about him. Okay. Um, his name is Ahmad Shah Massoud. Um, and he has one of the most badass nicknames I've ever heard. Um, he, at one point in time will be referred to as the lion of Panjshir. Okay. He's he he's a he's an interesting cat. So this is a this is definitely a case of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. You know, the argument you can make with the IRA, um, 
fucking um, the Mujahideen, which is where we're going to talk about the most. Not so much the Taliban or Al Qaeda, because he did not like those guys because they are dickheads. Um, the the Mujahideen are actually like, okay. The other two are actual terrorist organizations. We refer to the Mujahideen as a terrorist organization because we wanted their opium. (laughs) Well, Taliban didn't start off as... No, they didn't, but they, they got that way. They start, they started off as a freedom fighting. Correct. For, against, uh, Iraq, I mean, um... Russia. Right. But and we funded those motherfuckers. We funded a lot of them. Like, where do you think ISIS came from? Like, the, we made them motherfuckers. What, what they? they were the. Uh, what was it called? The Taliban. It was called. Uh, no, they were the Mujahideen. They were a different branch off of it, and then they kind of shifted. It, it was the. Uh, but, the but it stands for, like, uh, Black something. I can't think of the. Uh, I don't know. I can't. I, I remember hearing about it and talking about it in one of my classes when I was in college, and they. I just don't remember what the whatever it was. Yeah. Black hand or some shit like that. I don't know. They were Italian, I think, or uh, no, no, Serbian. I, They're the yeah, the guy that the, the fucking luckiest assassin of all time that just so happened to be walking out of like fucking like subway getting a sandwich or whatever, and is like, oh hey, what's up? And you know, well he had smoked tried. a couple of like semi-not important people they became all of a sudden very important well he tried before and then yeah. he was like oh hey look fuck this and we do get a sandwich comes back out oh hey neat it was, it was falafel come on <laughs> in Kosovo wait I don't know man I think that's sandwich country maybe a pita wrap they have falafel there falafel's Middle Eastern that's kind of where it is nah I I think we can split the difference to go with a pita wrap okay you know sure Maybe some tzatziki um, on that shit. Oh, love me some tzatziki. It's creamy cucumber sauce, and it's wonderful. Well, I mean, if you have falafel there, if you have tzatziki, you have falafel. Oh, tzatziki's Greek. It's still, it's it, it's they all share it. it all they, sh- they all have a lot of forearm hairs where we're going here. It, it, it all shares the same thing. They all cook the same stuff. You can find fucking falafel in Greece. You can fucking find it. Where, I mean, it's, right. it's just one of those. That's the region thing. But we're in we're in like. Uh, Baba Ganoush country, you know? So that's where we are. That okay. and the, they eat a lot of goat there, too. I've seen some Afghan cooks on uh, on Food Network. Shit looks good. Because it's like, it's Mediterranean, but it's also Indian. So it's like you get, like, all of, like, the really nice fresh flavors from Mediterranean food, and then they're just like, fucking curry, motherfucker. Shit fire for days. Yeah. Um, so I really don't know a bunch about the Afghan war. Other than what I learned from playing Metal Gear Solid Five, um, where I know the Russians are bad, and you have to kill them because yeah. they're, they're fucking Russians. And <clears throat> it's a video game, and that's what happens in these games. So the best place to kind of start is a little bit of history in the country itself, because I figured why not get into that a little bit. Afghanistan's always been kind of a, a nightmare to conquer. Nobody has ever been super successful there in modern times. Um. But the notion that it's never been conquered is completely wrong because it has been. Um, I'm pretty sure it has been yeah, by it, this one guy. It take it takes some you know, like a special type of force, you know. Um, guy in horseback. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he, he sure did. 
Um, the first time it was taken by force was around 500 BC by Darius I of Babylonia. Um, and uh, it, it stayed under control of the Persians until about 329 BC when this guy probably heard of him, Alexander of Macedonia. You know, his dad was a big deal. He was kind of a big deal. Uh, hmm. You know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe a little gay. Oh, like oh, oh that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, when okay. I say a little gay, I mean like a little gay by Greek standards. So he was like, he was mad gay. <laughs> like, or as they say, in, uh, what was it? Like uh, he's fucking dudes gay. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was it on? Uh, what was it uh, Men in Tights or whatever? Fagulus. Fagulus. <laughs> he wasn't like. Ah, uh, uh, fuck. What was it? Uh, uh, the Sacred Band of Thebes gay. Where, like, listen, your battle buddy is also the dude you've been fucking since you were, like, 12. So, stick together. Not literally, but fight with each other. And uh, you talk about some dangerous gays right there. Because they were fucking nasty. They could fight. Mm. Um, Alexander the Great, though, I mean, kind of a big deal. And he came in and just bitch slapped the Persians out of the out of the area in general. Uh, Mahmud of Ghazani, I'm going to mispronounce a ton of shit in this, by the way, Yeah. Um, who was from what is Iran now. He created an empire that would stretch from Iran to India. So he owned the Middle East, you know, not so much North Africa, but like that chunk that we've been uh, maybe or maybe not predator drone striking for the better part of 30 years now. Well, that was, area. That was the Byzantine Empire, I think, too. <sighs> yeah, kind of. They were in that, that neck of the woods, but. Um, this was like pre Byzantine for the most part. Uh, cause this would have been like, this is well before the, um, actually no, actually no. at this point in time, we're after that. Um, because the next guy that rolls in, he, he did some Mongol shit, you know, uh, he built pyramids out of fucking heads and stuff. Uh, maybe not necessarily Genghis Khan, but probably, um, what was his general? Subutai. Subutai? Yeah. His brother? No, no, I'm sorry, not Subutai. Uh, there was another guy that he sent out. Um, God damn it. I can't remember his name, but he was fucking crazy good at what he did. If it weren't for him, the Mongol Empire wouldn't have stretched as far as it did, because he's the guy that was, like, on the move while Genghis was back fighting, like, the Chinese and shit. He's like, you just go and... Do your thing, and well, he, he fucked he people up. Them, but they, they kind of like worked. You know, he's like, "Okay, hey, just fucking tell them that yeah. go that way and do yeah. what we do, <laughs> and tell them that you know, because he went, he went as far as what Iraq. Oh, they went further than that. But I think is, I thought it was like the furthest he went was modern day Iraq. Oh no, they made it into like Europe, Europe, because that was during the Crusades where there was rumors of a, um, a Christian king well, in the Europe, east. Well, that's the thing is, is Europe, you, you just have to go like northeast. I mean, across you know one port portion, portion, but like he went like I guess as for I say I should say the furthest south he southwest he went was Iraq. Right, but there was because there was always like rumors during the Crusades of a a Christian king in the east that they called John because it was like the telephone game where you know. Genghis Khan becomes whatever, whatever, and it's like, oh, it's King John. He's in the East. He's a Asian fella. 
Yeah. Pretty sure that they hadn't met Christians yet. No. Um, but, uh, yeah. He they... would have killed them. He didn't like Muslims either. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And it's well, not, not so even much... based on religion. They were human beings. And he's like, I, yeah. fuck I was y'all. Just, I was just going to say, <laughs> I don't think it was. Ba- I was gonna, I was just going to say, I don't think it was based on religion. No. I Christians, more... Jews, Catholics, Muslims. You get in the way, you're going to fucking die. <laughs> I just think it was based on, hey, you're in my way. Yeah. You're in my way. Um, I want this property. You're of the same species as me, and you're give breathing, up? and we need to fix that. <laughs> it was basically give up, or I'm going to fucking wipe out you and everybody else you know. I'm going to come back in three days after we've already killed everybody and kill the scavenging animals that are here, too. Yeah. Because they did that shit. I mean, they kind of... Fucking dogs, wolves, cats, anything like that that rolled in to eat bodies. They're like, ha, 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 we're going to... We're going to kill you for your skins because, you know, there's only so much we can do patching our yeah. shit with mice. Um, so in the 1700s, the finally, yeah, 17, Jesus. In the 1700s, the country finally united as a single country itself, which is ruled by different tribes, obviously. Yeah. But it was basically like Germania, but later. Because, you know, like, Germania was its own thing, but it was just tribal everything. Yeah. Afghanistan's still kind of like that, actually. If you're, you know. All, uh, I mean, Germany was nation states. Same difference, though. <clears throat> They're run by tribes. Well, yeah. I mean, they were run by tribes. Th- that one was run by, by that time, it was uh, princes, principalities. Right. No, what I'm saying is this is like old school Germania, but later yeah, on in yeah. the yeah. timeline. Um. Germania that was, you know, according to somebody that I heard, was never ruled by uh, uh, Rome, which is actually fucking false. Rome got up that far and actually conquered. Oh, yeah, Rome got up in its guts. But Rome also made a mistake when they took this little dude, and they're like, hey, we're going to take you and train you on our shit, and then we're going to turn you loose into the forest and see what happens. Yeah. Go back and check that episode out. Yeah. He, it was, uh, he, Battle of Tudorberg Forest. Yeah. Arminius was a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't uh you can't train somebody. They did that a... all the goddamn time though, because they did it with fucking uh 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 Uller, uh Ulrich that yep. was with the Visigoths. Yep. Trained him up, fucking turned him loose, and he's like, Cool, great. And he went back across the river and he's like, Hey, uh, you guys don't really know me, but I'm one of you. Let's fuck these Romans. And they proceeded to fuck these Romans. Bigly. Was it Visigoths or was it? It was either Visigoths or uh, Vandals or some shit like that. It was one of the. Because yeah, I don't think Goths, the Goths, Go- Goths, and uh, the other one, the the Visa, whatever. They they were they were separate because there was because then they joined, they became Visigoths. Yeah. I was gonna say this isn't a history podcast, but that'd be kind of a lie because I mean we kind of are at this point. We do a lot of the shit, but yeah. it was it was one of those fucking bands of people that came in and skull fucked the Romans in their death throes of an empire. Then which... they then they came across the fucking ocean and yeah, you know, well, across the bay, I should say, and fucking fucked up England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that was the the Angles and the then the Saxons. Hence the. Uh, Anglo-Saxon thing, you know. Well, I mean, they didn't so much fuck up England. They kind of like fucked up. The they fucked Vikings. up people that were in the way because yeah. they wanted their land because it's good to farm on. Yeah, they fucked up the Vikings. Yeah, they were like, yeah, we're, we're taking this. <laughs> you need to leave now. <laughs> yeah, this is ours now. Yeah, bye bye. So in or around about 1870, um, after years of different Arab conquests and attacks, 
uh, Islam has kind of started to get a really firm grasp on the country. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meanwhile, af- uh, the Afghans who are in, co- in a the Afghans who are in a constant state of war with you know the white Mongols, the uh, British Empire, uh, basically from 1838 to 1920, they fought tooth and nail to keep their little chunk of the Middle yeah, East because they, they had the Afghan War. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Brits didn't. I I mean they did what they did British things and they brought in way better weaponry, but they still fucking lost because the last time I checked, they don't speak English in Afghanistan. Not no. even with an accent. Like No. Um So the the Brits were trying to expand westward from India because mm-hmm. they owned Pakistan wasn't really a thing at the time. It was just like it was a bigger India was bigger and Pakistan was almost split between where Afghanistan and India is. Yeah. And then eventually they're like, nah, fuck you guys. And they pushed back and created their own thing. Um, and now they're always starting to nuke each other. And as the saying go- went, the sun never sets on the, the British Empire, the British Empire until their fucking lizard queen scuttles back off into the subterranean world that they own too. But, well, there was more than you yeah. Know, there was there was kings and yeah, mostly kings where it never sat on. Yeah, they tried, they tried, and but, it held uh, on for a while. They did time. pretty good. Um, I mean, except you know, like their furthest furthest east, I guess you could say, was Australia. They had Australia for a while. No, I think Singapore's further east than that. No, because Australia is out in the fucking ocean. Yeah, so Singapore though, I don't think or Shanghai, one of the two. Don't think they Shanghai have... was a, was an English port. Yeah, they, but they owned just, the city. That was just a port. Whoopee. Yeah, but they owned the city. It's like kind of a big deal. Yeah. Then they tried it here, and uh, spoiler alert: their tea's still in the fucking bay, where we left it. Snaggletooth fucks with no seasoning on your food, <laughs> and I can say that because. I've descendants of of them, so there. Yes, yeah. I think we, I think pretty much most everybody does. <laughs> yeah, if you're white, I mean. Um, so for the first time, this so this fighting with the English is the first time that the Afghans showed that they were pretty competent against a more you know modern style army, um, and it probably helps that the Brits had lost somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, I don't know. 880,000, which is about 6% of the male population at the time of England during World War I. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard to fight a war when you ain't got guys to send to fight a war. Well, this is pre-World War One. No, they fought up until like 1821. Okay. I'm sorry, 1921. Sorry, okay. that's what I meant to say. Um, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, because you can't really send children off to war, and since England isn't uh, woke enough, they weren't going to send women off to war either, so... Um, I mean, I think women in trenches in a combat role probably would have been a not great thing for them. I mean, any human being in trenches in, in a combat role like that is probably not great. No, but pre like 1800s when they fought, it was it wasn't so much trenches. It was you know fucking let's fight. Yeah, no, man. I'm saying like during World War One, like trench warfare. Yeah, would have been fucking gross for everybody, male, female, doesn't matter. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't have to stand on my dead friends to take a fucking shot at a German. I mean, that's kind of sucks. God damn it, Roger. Stand up a little higher. <laughs> He's dead. Oh, fuck. Throw Williams on top of him then. <laughs> fucking stacking him like 
<laughs> making stairs out of corpses. Can uh, you move William's leg a little bit? <laughs> put your foot under his head and just lift. I just need a little bit. Then you get shot in the fucking head and well, add you to the pile. Fuck it. So the region saw quite a bit of peace for a while. Um, aside from, you know, little tribal squabbles, blah, blah, blah. Um, and obviously the kind of infighting that comes from this environment of the world yeah, in yeah, general. Yeah. That that all changed December of 1979 when the Soviet Union invaded to try to help the communist government fight their war against like Muslim guerrillas mm. in the area. So the Afghani portion of this war started in, in April of 1978 when uh, President Muhammad Dayud Khan and his centrist government, we're going to use the word centrist very, very fucking loosely, um, was overthrown by some pretty hardcore lefties uh, led by high-ranking military uh, officer Nur Muhammad Tariqi. Um, and he promptly turned over all of this shit, like all the power and all this stuff, to members of the People's Party and the Banner Party, both of which are cut from the same communist piece of shit cloth, um, which was overall the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, mm. which if you haven't noticed, if you do anything like this and you have peoples and democratic in the party, it's generally communism. Like, you know, you have the, the, the people's fucking the people's Republican Army of China and all this shit. It's all communism. You just throw peoples in there to make people feel like, hey, we're involved in this. And like, no, you're just, you know. Like I mean, what really fools you is if they talk democratic because they think, oh, right. hey, it's elections. But yeah. like, I mean, the, look, the, look the, at the Congo. Democratic Republic of the Congo. Yeah, yeah exactly. That, there's no fucking no. There's no, no democracy there. No, 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 no. That doesn't happen. No. <laughs> they also changed their name like 140 times between 1960 and 1990. <laughs> Until now, I yeah. Don't know. Probably still getting ready to change <laughs> since they were Zaire. <laughs> yeah. We got to talk about some African civil wars at some point in time because they're fucking wild. So much weird shit happens, and I mean, God bless AK forty sevens. If you're if you're gonna fight in Africa, that's what I'll say there. Yeah, this new government held very little public support, so they started to send out feelers to Russia for help. Um, and like you do with any kind of communist government, you start purging opposition. You know. The, the old, the good old fashioned Soviet way. Anybody speaks against you, you shoot them in the fucking streets. Uh huh. Um, they also started a series of social and agricultural uh, agricultural reforms that the largely Muslim population didn't like because Soviet and communist countries make it hard to be. Uh, they they make it difficult to be religious because communism. There's a lot of uh, you replace. <clears throat> whatever flavor of God you follow with the state. So that doesn't fly well with devout Muslims, believe it or not. Might be shocking. Who the fuck knew? So they they didn't flat out ban religion, but it it just became very hard to practice. Um, And it's, it's important to remember at this point in time that the F in communism stands for either freedom or food. You can use them interchangeably. Okay. So. Huh. So so as the commies are setting up shop, tribesmen and city-dwelling Muslims alike start to take up the banner of this group, the Mujahideen, which in in Arabic means those who engage in jihad. They're not fucking playing. 
because jihad is holy war, in case yeah. anybody didn't know. Um, so they they didn't like the fucking communists, like, at all. Um, this was one of the areas where, I think this whole area of the world is one of the part places where communism got a foothold, but it never really took off because of how fucking oil and water devout religiousness and communism are. It's like, you can't have one and the other at the same time. It's one or the other. And, uh, last time I checked, they did not choose communism. Um, there's probably a bunch of people that could tell you about that. So after some small scale fighting and some infighting between the people's, uh, the people's party and the banners party, the Soviets decided it's time for some intervention. First thing they did was, uh, they removed president of the, uh, president oh my christ i typed this and didn't realize i was gonna have to say it and no it's not some fucking mary poppins shit javi zula amin uh, obviously javi zula and uh that's what i did in my head to try to remember how to say it uh because i am retarded um so he was of the people's party and they put babrak karmal of the banner party in place. He didn't last long at all because even before he was put into power, he was a violent shitbag, and everybody within fucking screaming distance of Kabul hated uh-huh. his guts. Um, he, he really like, he got really into the whole communism thing and he proceeded to start hunting down any political opposition, including anybody that would have been like, ah, he's not, he's all right. He's doing good. He could probably do better. If you were on the fence about this guy, you were in a mass grave about this guy um, because they just started killing people like public executions on mass. Hmm. Um, so before the, the, the Russians really physically get into Afghanistan, Karmal is making constant. And when I say constant, I mean, almost bi-weekly trips to Moscow asking for advice and, you know, you know, a hand with administrative stuff like that. So with him being there constantly, the Russians are really sick of this, this guy's bullshit. And they decide to show this butt plug some attention, a little bit of affection, if you will. Okay. Um, because he's not just showing up like, saying, hey, uh, you know, making a phone call saying, hey, I'm going to be flying in, blah, blah, blah. I would like to speak to somebody. He's making unannounced trips. So it's time It's time for him to make an unannounced trip uh, to hell. Uh, so they had his personal chef who, believe it or not, he didn't realize this, but the chef knew that the chef is a KGB agent. Okay. And uh, our buddy Carmel here, like me, big cokehead. Fucking loves Coca-Cola. Absolutely loves it. Favorite drink of all time. So the chef poisons his Coke that he brings him one day at lunch. And if you ever needed proof that Coca-Cola is superior to water, the carbonation in the drink rendered the poison completely inert. Made the soda taste a little funny. No no problem, though. Okay. Um, so when he shows back up to Moscow a couple couple weeks later, you know, um, Soviet top dog, Leonid Brezne- uh, Brezhnev, uh, basically Brezhnev. said, okay, Brezhnev. whatever, fuck him. He's a commie. I, I can't pronounce his name correctly anyway. 
Okay. He's got a bullshit name. Um, he basically decides, fuck this guy. Um, keeps showing up, and he's fucking blowing up our guest bathrooms, shitting all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs to go. So December 27th, 1979, two days after they did not celebrate Christmas, a group of Spetsnaz operators bust into the presidential palace and kill everyone that wasn't a secret KGB agent. Um, Carmel, his wife, his kids, uh, cabinet members, personal secretary, other members of the household staff, dead. They fucking went in there and killed everybody. Because that's what Spetsnaz does. True. They're, they're good at it, believe it or not. Well, I mean, they're good at killing people that don't look like them. Because they're doing kind of dog shit in Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like us. We're good at, pill- at killing people that don't look like us. Actually, well, no, that's wrong. Incorrect. The United States is better at killing people that look like us because we killed a ton of fucking Germans. True. Uh, Middle Eastern and uh, Southeast Asia, not great. Eh, we did not we, great. We did not so bad. <laughs> Microwaving two cities aside, Southeast Asia, we didn't do so hot. Mm, we did a lot better than you think. I mean, like Vietnam. We did a lot better. Yeah, but we, we were actually really doing really fucking good. Up through the Tet Offensive. We were really... We, Correct. But then after at, that, it was like, oh, no. No, we were doing good. It was it was going great. And then, you know, then they were like, eh, I think we... Because a lot of people were like, we could have technically won the war, I guess. Won the... Whatever, wherever you want to call it. But they are like, eh, let's pull the plug. Or... Because everybody here at home was like... Hey, because all the hearing of all the shit happening, yeah. you're killing babies and well, you're doing this. In some cases, yeah. You know, you know, uh, you know, Me Lai Massacre and all. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Or, I mean, hear me out. We could have also. It's going to going to sound fucking crazy. We could have not gone at all. True. <laughs> we could have not gone at all to. Bosnia, Somalia. Iraq, Afghanistan. Well, you know. well, hold on. I mean, Iraq was like there was really no reason. Uh, Bosnia and Somalia were different cases. Yeah, we I were guess. we were called in because there was because the UN sucks at what they do. There was mass genocide going yeah. on, and we needed to fucking. And the UN was like, we got it handled, and then they got there and went, oh man, we're bad at this. They were like, then they fucking rung up the phone, called Dad. They called in for the lefty. <laughs> hey, US, you want to help? <laughs> They won't play with me. I need your help. Like, Fuck. All right. Make old man noises. <sighs> Get up out of the chair and <laughs> bomb a bunch of fucking civilians. Whatever. <laughs> These things happen. Uh, so not not too long after that, the Soviet military, they go full red dawn and they're dropping fucking paratroopers all over Afghanistan and rolling tanks across the borders and shit. Which are still there. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them permanently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, my brother saw him firsthand. Yeah, the, the fucking T-72s and shit. Yeah, he, he was like, the desert is fucking full of them. Yeah, just it's a fucking graveyard of Soviet shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they start taking control of important sites, airfields, government buildings, military outposts, armories. Um, we'll kind of circle back to how people gathered firearms and stuff like that. Um, APCs are rolling across the border from Tajikistan. Shit's getting hot and heavy pretty quick here. Riots start kicking off the streets of Kabul. Um, about two thirds of the military 
defected from the Afghan military to fight alongside the Soviets. And while all this is going on, Muslim clerics around the country and around the world in general are getting Muslims fucking whipped up into a frenzy. Uh, they're calling for interdimensional jihad against the Soviets uh, and even just in against Afghanistan in general. Um, so it's it's kind of like when, you know, it's like, hey, so we got to do this uh, this whole crusade thing. But uh, it's not just against this one place. It's against this place and everybody that looks like they're from this place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Soviets didn't really like that the locals are getting a bit uppity. So this is when they start rolling artillery and tanks in. Mm. Um, which, when it comes to modern tanks, the T-72s are dog shit. Um, but we kind of left them better shit when we pulled out of Afghanistan this time. So it doesn't really make it any any difference. Um I mean, for the time, the T-72 is pretty good. Yeah, but we still had fucking Abrams at this point. Uh, T-72s are World War II surplus. They weren't real good. This would have been, like, early, early on for the Abrams, because this is, like, 79. No, well, that would have been... Well, I don't think it would have been Abrams. I think it would have been before Abrams. They've been around a while. They've been around since, like, the 60s. No. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. No, I think it was like a, maybe a 90s thing. But I mean, what what I'm getting at is the Russians... I think it was like, it was not, it wasn't Sherman or whatever. It was like just after the Sherman, whatever that one was. The The Russians didn't leave them, you know. Uh, vehicle design was approved May 7th, 1979. 1982 General Dynamics Land System, blah, blah, blah. So production started at the tail end of 1979. So they first entered army service in 1980. So they were still babies at this point. Yeah. Just giant unwieldy armored babies that don't really know what they're doing. Um, but the Russians didn't leave them, uh, you know, night vision, Black Hawk helicopters, Abrams, uh, body armor. You know, we kind of just like, ah. We might have a fucking yard sale. We'll just leave all this shit in the basement and take off. Um, like my previous homeowners did. <laughs> hey, what the hell, right? Uh, so, but the problem here is Russia has been training to fight against other NATO countries and organized militaries. They're not training to fight against this little ragtag fucking groups of dudes on horseback with World War One bolt action rifles. Mm-hmm. Everything from fucking Enfields to Mosin Nagants. Um, both of which are fantastic, by the way. So these dudes are just kind of like, they would ride up to these Soviet outposts with fucking guns blazing, chucking Molotov cocktails through windows and shit, and just ride off into the fucking night. Um, they were like modern day, like, uh, Bedouins from <laughs> World War One. They're doing some, uh, some Lawrence of Arabia shit here. But now that we've gone through that, the man we're going to talk about is about to, well, we got to back up for where he enters the picture because we just kind of okay. did a little overview of the Soviet bullshit war here. Okay. Um, so we're going to go back to September 2nd, 1953 in Bazarak, which is in the, the Panjir Valley in Afghanistan. Um, <laughs> I know a lot of people, when they think Afghan fighters, they're thinking, you know, Tuscan Raiders from Star Wars, you know, traveling single file to hide their numbers, uh, uh-huh. flying planes into shit, which I don't yeah. think the Tuscans did that. They're no. pretty ground based. Um, with their slug faces and stuff. Um, 
this guy is the furthest away from what most people would think of as Taliban fighters, like being raised in a cave and, you know, fighting like that. This dude had his shit together from the get go. Um, his parents named him after Ahmad Shah Durrani, who was the founder of the unified state of Afghanistan. He would end up picking up the Masood part in 1974 after he joined up with the Mujahideen um, to uh, oppose the forces of uh, Dayud Khan. Yeah. So his father, Muhammad, uh, of course, because he's <laughs> got to have a fucking Muhammad in the family. It's it, it you, you can't get away from it. It's going to happen. Well, I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's like if if you're Indian, you know, somebody related or not with the last name of Patel. It's just how it is. It's the fucking John Smith of Central Asia. So his, his father, Muhammad, was a, he was a colonel in the Royal Afghan Army, and his mother, Bibi, uh, was one of the very few women in the, air, in the area that uh, could be described using the word modern. Um, she taught herself how to read and write, did the same with all of her kids because she thought that, you know, she wanted to teach her kids to be able to, you know, do their own shit. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter... Regardless of gender, she taught the boys and the girls how to read and write. Yeah. Which was almost completely unheard of at the time. Not really. I mean... For the area where yeah. they are? No. Because, I mean, uh, Iraq, uh, Iran yeah. was not the Iran that no. we know. Oh, no. I, I understand that. But what I'm saying is for the area of Afghanistan where they are, they're out in the middle of fucking nowhere. They're like the West Virginia of Afghanistan at this point in time. Like... They're out farming. They are, they're north of Kabul, but they're north enough that they don't really get newspapers. If you know what I mean, oh, like okay. they are out in the sticks. So in the country, huh? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. They're country folk. Um, so he attended high school at Lycee, which is in Kabul, where he was taught by a mix of French and Afghan teachers. Um, and when it came to foreign languages, when it came to learn that stuff, he went off the rails. Uh, he was a fucking natural with languages. He he picked up French, a little bit of German, uh, English. Came to language. He, it was, language was his thing. Um, and on more than one occasion, while he was in school, he said that uh, his favorite memory of being in school was being about was being allowed to wear Western clothing, meaning he got to wear like yeah. jeans and a fucking polo shirt. Yep. And he was like, he was excited. He was, yeah. he was like, "This is cool shit." Um, he was offered full scholarships to go to France and uh, and study there, um, but as a teen, he decided that he wanted to follow the same route as his father. He wanted to go into the military, um, and what really cemented it for him was hearing stories of people from like Jordan and Syria, um, how they defended their homelands against whomever, uh, depending on fucking each other. I don't know who the fuck was attacking who. I'm not a geopolitical historian. I mean, there's another guy that was doing the same thing this time, you know, but he's now dead. Yeah. 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 I mean, (laughs) don't think he's not involved in this story somewhere, (laughs) but he was doing the same thing. He was, you know, he was out. He actually went and got an education. So did he. And I mean, so did he send his sons too. Yeah. This guy's no son. is no fucking slouch either as I will talk about at the end here. Um, So he would end up applying to the Afghan military Academy in Kabul, graduated from there. um, 
Then he enrolled, enrolled at Kabul University, and this pissed his father off to no end. Because at this point in time, like, <laughs> like many of our modern colleges, funded by the Soviets. Um, he decided to go anyway, and while he was there, he got way into communism. Um, he's reading shit by Ho, like about Ho Chi Minh, um, fucking Che Guevara, who if they had met, they would not have been friends at all. Um, but after being there for a couple semesters, he realizes that communism is not really for him. Um, but he did keep all of the knowledge about guerrilla warfare that he learned from reading books by these guys. Yeah, because what he was learning about communism wasn't fucking communism. It was, it was fucking totalitarianism or whatever you it, want to fuck call it. Communism. It <laughs> no. That's what communism is, though. But no, it's not. That's not what it's supposed to be, but it's what it is. It's what it turns into. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's what it is. It's not what it's supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is... Fucking... Karl Marx fucking rule over in his fucking grave, the goddamn German. Yeah, it's supposed to be a fucking... Utopia. A utopia with the streets just full of lollipops and blowjobs everywhere. But it is never that way. Ever. Well, no. Because you got people like Mao and, and fucking... You know, uh, Lenin, Stalin, fucking uh, any number of South American dictators. You know, the Bolsheviks that fucking came in and, you know, all those guys fucking like, oh, hey, look, we're going to bring this in. And they're like, because because you can manipulate that that system of government into fucking getting everything you want and fucking everybody. at the same But it's like, but guess what? We're more socialists. Yeah. Hey, we're going to go kill everybody that's wearing glasses because we think you're smarter than us. It has nothing to do with the fact that you have bad fucking eyesight. Yeah. Way to go, dickhead. Pol Pot. Fat little asshole. Um, so he was 20 years old um, when the first series of coups kind of kicked off. Um, this is the one that would put Muhammad Dayud Khan in power. When this happened, a pretty sizable Islamic movement kind of takes off, and he joins up with uh, the Muslim youth, which sounds a whole lot like another group from about 20 years before this in Germany, but it's not. No. Because um, these guys are not blonde. No, no, no. This is different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> it's this... like a group that's it was in, I think maybe the same group in uh, Iran. Because they pushed for, oh yeah, the the, the Muslim youth movement was a was a thing all over the place. Yeah, because I think they were because they were in Iran, which they pushed heartily for like, um, to to make things m- more um more better. Yeah, more not, not, more no, moderate. Yeah, where, yeah, and, and they won. I mean, because for a little was, bit, it was like. Everything else, yeah. but then dickheads took over, and yes. the fucking Shah or whatever. Ayatollah. Like, Ayatollah. Yeah. Like, he was a cunt, too. Like Khomeini. Yeah. He was like, eh, fuck that. You know, look, what's, look what's happening. You, you goddamn know. kids. You know, yeah. look, look, look at all this shit. He is the stereotypical old man yelling at kids on his lawn, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you and your fucking blue jeans and rock music. Yeah. You motherfuckers. That guy. <laughs> yes. Um, but this 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 particular branch of it was headed up by uh, a Kabul University professor, uh, Brunhandi 
Rabini, which I'm going to just call him Rabini from now on because that first name is just okay. a Jim jumble of horse shittery. B-U-R-H-A-N-U-D-D-I-N. Listen, I'm going to go with the last sure. name. Exactly. Um, I'm just going to call him Beanie. <laughs> and after he joins up with this, he went back to class where of course. he was in there with a Russian professor and they had a disagreement. And he beat the dog shit out of his professor. <laughs> um, so two days later, in an effort to escape being, uh, you know, killed to death by the Soviets, uh, him and a, a small, smallish, about about a hundred guys. Um, Wait, Wolverines? Kind of Wolverines. Kind of, <laughs> because they do something similar, and by similar, I mean not at all. They go to Pakistan, where they're trained by the Pakistani in, uh, Inter-Service Agency, or the ISI, which is the Pakistani CIA, okay. who are still super goddamn dangerous. Um, okay. They do a lot of a lot of gross shit, like the CIA. Um, so after some training, they would return back to his homeland, more specifically back into the Panjir Valley, where he grew up. Um, and Dayud had... Like, very, very little support there. Because this is, like I said, this is out in the fucking country. Uh-huh. Like, God and guns out in the country. Yeah. Um, And it's really not that far out of Kabul. It's literally the next province, like, northeast of Kabul. They butt up against it. Um, And he just, he starts recruiting left, right, and center. The Panjshir Valley is uh, it's pretty mountainous area. Uh, Again, northeast of Kabul, because I jumped ahead in my notes here. Uh, it's part of the Hindu Kush range, which is a super old mountain range. Uh-huh. Um, apparently also a really good strain of weed. It Never had it. Is. But uh, <laughs> really good. And there are more than 100,000 people that live here. For the mo- And for the most part, they're all like ethnically Tajikist, like Tajiks. Well, you know, like ethnically from Tajikistan. Uh-huh. Um, the valley is also the, it's actually the second largest concentration of Tajiks outside of Tajikistan in the fucking world. Which, I mean, Tajikistan borders Afghanistan, so it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Um, it's like saying the United States is the second highest concentration of Mexicans aside from Mexico. Because they fucking border each other. Yeah. Durr. Happens. Um, so these are people that have a, a, a long... Like, in the long run, they're basically descendants of Iranians. Because, obviously, Iran owned the whole area there for a while. Um... But more importantly, they are fiercely loyal to each other. Like, they're little tribes and stuff. They may not always get along, but it's like when somebody picks on your brother at school. It's like, uh-huh. no, 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 no. That's my job. You fuck off. Yeah, yeah I'm going to yeah. fight you. <laughs> then I'm yeah. going to pick on my brother for being a bitch. Yeah. You know. Um, he did train up about 3,000 guerrilla fighters, but being where they were, resources are limited. And uh, in June of 1975, he got a little bit of help from his Pakistani buddies, kicks off a rebellion in Panjir uh, to try to do his best to get rid of Khan. Because he was a bit of an asshole, like we said, kind of a kind of a prick, you know. Um, so this first little rebellion went pretty good. He and his forces ended up taking a military garrison in uh, Rakoa, Raqqa, I, I don't fucking know. Um but it fizzled pretty quickly after that, and Khan's forces get into the area, and they force Masood and all of his guys back into Pakistan. The ones that they didn't kill, uh-huh. obviously. 
So he, well, he's back in Pakistan. He's spending more time with the ISI, finds himself wanting to do something else. So he returns to Peshawar and takes up studying military tactics and uh, strategies, stuff like that. Got into a little bit of finger quotes, light reading. Uh, among his favorites were uh, Mao's writing on the long march. <laughs> a few different books written by Che Guevara, who, again, giant cunt. Um, Mao's not even better, any better. No, no, none of them are. <laughs> I mean, uh, this guy, he, he read the memoirs of General Charles de Gaulle, um, who's pretty fucking tough for a dude whose middle name is Marie. Hey. Um, Vo Nguyen, uh, who was a general in the People's Army of Vietnam. So he was a... That would have been a general in the NVA, basically. Um, but this is pre-NVA. No, this is 79. This is, you know, in the late 70s. So the NVA has been around. Well, no, I thought it was... I, th- I was assuming this was pre... Oh, no, no. This this is all going his, on in his the 70s. Re- his reading. Of his, his, him reading about... Or his readings from them was pre... Oh, no, because this, this is in 1975. So this is after... Vietnam is like we're we're out of Vietnam at this point, um, but it was it was communist literature. You could get that shit anywhere. Oh, okay, you know? okay, okay. I just I just thought it was like re, like stuff that was after or um, before everything. Like you know, they were a while before because I mean, uh, no, that that one was actually pretty modern for the time. Okay, like within okay. a, a decade or so. Okay. Um, he read cover to cover the art of war by Sun Tzu, which hey. is also a very good book. Sun Tzu. Um, and he did get a book. I actually own that. I thought I did. And I don't have it. I thought I had it, but I, I don't. Have it. It's a very old cop. My, uh, I, my, my grandmother passed away. I was told if you want anything, you know, here's a chance now go right now and go grab whatever you want. And I went and I grabbed that. Nice. And my mom's like, do you want anything else? I said, I don't feel like I should, but this is what I want. There was a couple other things I probably should have taken. But right. He also, more books. <laughs> he also got a, a book that he didn't give the title of, um, but it was on counterterrorism written by an American general uh, turned CIA operative. And he said this book was the one that, quote, was the most instructive of all. Uh, and I'm assuming he probably had like a pile of the fucking like old school, like, army hand manuals on, you know, guerrilla warfare, improvised explosives, um, small, you know, small unit tactics, you know, just the shit I've got in my gun safe. <laughs> it's just the ones I remember <laughs> because I have those. Uh, so after the failure of the first little rebellion, there's a split within the Islamic movement um, with the more radical members following uh, <sighs> Golbuddin Hekmatar, who we're going to talk about this fucking guy again. And they would form up the Hezbi Islami. Um, and the less extreme, more moderate guys go on with Masood and Rabani, and they form up uh, the Jamaat. Um, they had a much longer name, but I didn't put all of that in because yeah, fucking yeah. holy shit, there's so many vowels. Um, so this this split kind of came as a shock to people because Masood and Hekmatar uh, were actually pretty good friends, and they had gone to university together. They were buddies. And they just had a falling out, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't think it's gonna work. It's There's it's gonna be a, of opinion. Yeah, it's gonna be a no for me, dog." And uh, you know, they go their separate ways. Was it a hard no? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he would float around the area until about 1978, um, 
and this is where we kind of circle back to the beginning a little bit with the whole 1979 Soviet invasion shit. Um, now he decides to shift from trying to oust the Soviet puppet government to just trying to out the Soviet government proper because the fucking Russians are here. Yeah. And this is going to be an issue. So after a series of uh, fairly successful raids against the Russians, um, he had some meetings with some religious and tribal leaders. And uh, these are all mostly people that have the, like a similar mindset to him. And uh, this is where the full-blown recreation of the Mujahideen comes in. Um, like I said before, at the very root of the word, it means anyone involved in a jihad. And this is definitely holy war. Um, the Mujahideen had actually been around since like the fucking 1700s, but it had gone away and then it came back because back then they were fighting um, Sikhs, Indians, other uh, Islamic groups that were rolling in stuff like that. Um, but so, so this is just the more modern version of the group that we can still kind of see today. Uh-huh. Uh, so the main types of attacks that they're carrying out, obviously they're, uh yes. So this so this is kind of like the modern version of the group that we see today. Yeah, yeah. Still kind of. Um but I think this is going to be like you said a good spot to take a quick break and we'll come back up and finish this bitch off. So being small semi unorganized groups obviously they're fighting guerrilla warfare. They are ambushing people, they're ambushing shit. Um they, they did a lot of stuff where they're just hammering Russian supply lines, um, which, you know, that's what you do when you're fighting a trained force. Is yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You have to asymmetric warfare and hit and run. Exactly. Um, we did it during the Revolutionary War for some of us. Some yeah. did it. And I'm assuming we'll have to do it again eventually. <laughs> Probably. Uh, so they would ambush fuel and munition convoys. Um, and this caused absolute chaos for the Russian forces in Afghanistan because they're not destroying these. We're talking ambush them and take their shit, which is the smart way to do it. Because if you don't have resources and they have resources, you got to get their resources. That's how this shit works. So a hotspot for these attacks was the uh, Salong Pass. And they hit convoys there so often that in 1982... The Russians sent around 30,000 men through the pass into the Panjshir Valley. Wow. They are done fucking around. Uh, so this kind of forces Masood's hand and his, he has to bring his guys underground and go into hiding for a bit. Uh-huh. Most of the, of the positions that they were retreating back into are like these fortified like old forts and shit that have been there for hundreds of years. And the Russians often were kind of in the mindset of, well, we can take the fortress and push them out, whatever. Yeah, they they tried a couple of times, and uh, they never took any of them. Because they would leave, the, like, the, when the Russians started rolling up, they would leave the forts, and they would come back at night and fucking ambush them in their sleep. Because <laughs> uh, they knew the area. Oh, of course they, they did. You know. Why do you think we got our asses kicked so badly yeah, in yeah, Afghanistan? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what happens. You, you don't know? fuck with the home team. No, it's true. I mean... You, you just Jesus, like, look at fucking Iraq with the fighting in the streets there. We had no goddamn clue where these guys were coming from. They did because, you know, it's their town. 
Yeah. You, know, you don't fuck with the locals. That's kind of our rule around here, too. Uh, so 1983, uh, the Russians are taking a pretty good beating, um, and they send word to Masood that they want a ceasefire. Mm-hmm. It's, we're not doing any, either side any favors here. Let's chill. Takes him up on their offer, and he puts this time to good use. He starts training new fighters. Um, more importantly, this gives the local population a little bit of time to just breathe and not constantly be at war. There's not constant fighting. Which makes him a hero to the the local, like the entire valley. They're like, man, this guy is getting us out of some shit, which is really nice. So during the truce, he would create the, uh, well, he referred to as his supervisory council, which was a pretty big deal. The council would bring 130 commanders from 12 different provinces together to join forces and fight the Soviet and communist Afghans. Big deal because... These are mostly tribes that outside of this don't get along. We're talking Shias and Sunnis fighting together against a common enemy, hmm. which is goddamn unheard of. Yeah. Um, so, and like anytime there was any kind of like squabbling between, you know, the younger guys, the older guys would come in, let cooler heads prevail and just settle everybody out. And it, it worked out really well. Um, which is why this guy had what happened to him, not happened to him probably would have been the president of Afghanistan at some point in time because he was very, he was level headed and moderate. Like he could take both sides of an argument and not take, not pick sides and go, okay, well let's figure out how to work together on this instead of fucking blowing each other up constantly. He would have been a fantastic president. So with weapons kind of few and far between, uh, and Rabani really... So Rabani, was, as the head of this half of the organization, isn't showing any favoritism when it comes to distributing supplies and stuff like that. Even though him and Masood were like best of buddies, Masood got no special treatment because you have to... Everything has to be done evenly, which, mm. you know, makes sense. Um. So realizing that he's not getting as much in the line of resources as he needs and he needs money to do this shit, they start getting into the exportation business and they are shipping out emeralds, lapis lazuli, and other kind of precious stones that are found in the area. And this is kind of where Western countries get involved because uh, MI6, who for a really long time had contacts in Pakistani intelligence and, uh, one of the guys in one of their moles or whatever agents that's in Pakistani intelligence mentions Masood in a conversation and uh, some higher ups at MI6 are like, let's, let's talk to this guy. So MI6 is the British CIA. MI5 is their FBI. If I remember correctly, Ben will probably correct me. It's they're one or the other They're you no, know, whatever. Um, so the Brits would start sending, uh, sending officers, you know, uh, you know, five, 10 officers at a time over to Pakistan and bring these guys in to train people a couple times a year. They also figured, you know, Hey, what the hell? What? Let, let's get him some, some real fucking high speed shit here. We'll get him some high powered suppressed sniper rifles, mortar tubes, radio comms, stuff like that. You know, shit, you need to fight a fucking war. Um, so the U S not to be outrun, <laughs> outdone, um, 
didn't really... We didn't technically give weapons to the Mujahideen. We gave weapons to the Pakistanis. And they gave weapons to the Mujahideen. So we didn't directly do it. It's like watching a drug deal on the wire. You know, you walk up to some guy and you hand him cash and he starts throwing these weird fucking hand signs and you walk around the corner. Dude's got your heroin. We didn't give it to you. That guy did. You just gave us money for directions. So there. I thought we did. Nah, no, nah, we, we yeah, because there was in a, a roundabout way we did. No, because there was a sen- a senator that went to Afghanistan. Yeah, met with the leaders, and then he yeah. was like, "Okay, yeah, we like what you're doing. We're gonna, we're, I'm gonna go back, and then we'll give you a month. We'll give you the see what you need, and correct, we'll get it to you. But we gave it initially to the Pakistanis, who then distributed it because we didn't want we didn't have to be in Afghanistan. We were like. Mm. We'll go to Pakistan and talk to some folks, and that's where the whole... It's kind of like how the fucking IRA got M16s and shit Mm. from Whitey Bulger, you know? Um, So the problem here is that the Pakistanis kind of gave most of the weapons to Hekmatar and his guys, um, and Masood had this to say about that. Quote, we thought the CIA... We thought the CIA knew everything. They didn't. They supported some bad people in Hekmatar. Um, because his his branch of it is what would basically go on to be one of the foundational stones for um, the Taliban. Because they're the more religious extremist part of it. Um, it's not to say that we didn't have boots on the ground in Afghanistan. Because Edmund, uh, Edmund McWilliams and Peter Thompson, who are both uh, State Department folks... Um, they'd kind of been on the ground in, that, in Pakistan for a while. And they would meet with Masood in Pakistan a few times. And this is, like you said, these are the guys that are like, we like the cut of his jib, we're going to get you some shit. Um, but they obviously had some other support from uh, a couple other guys uh, by the name of Michael Johns and James Phillips, who were from the Heritage Foundation. Um, and they also met with these guys to bring back their found, their their findings and they would see if this qualified for um, the Reagan doctrine. So I just said a whole bunch of shit there, right? The Heritage Foundation is a D.C.-based conservative conservative think tank that was founded by Joseph Coors, you know, the beer guy, Joseph Coors. Um, got pretty big in uh, in the 80s under Reagan. And uh, the Reagan doctrine was, br- was uh, brought up in a State of the Union address on February 6th, 1985, where Reagan said... We must not break faith with those who are <clears throat> with those who are risking their lives on every continent from Afghanistan to Nicaragua. Neither one of those are continents. They're both just countries uh, to to uh, defy Soviet support, uh, to defy Soviet supported aggression and secure rights, which have been ours from birth. Um, so our current president was not the first one that we ever had that had dementia um, while they were in office. He just said Reagan smash Reagan angry. Nancy, I'm tired. Wrong Contra affair. <laughs> ah, we got a guy for that. Ollie North, he's a piece of shit anyway, right? We'll just make we'll make him take all the blame for it. Which he didn't. Turns out he might not have been as bad of a guy as uh, everybody thought he was. Um, but uh, so this is kind of the crown jewel of Reagan's foreign policy in the eighties, um, aside from the Star Wars project. Mm-hmm. But th- this is how he was going to end the, the Cold War. Was like, well, 
they're fighting those guys, so we got to give them some fucking guns. Uh, yeah, again, a rank contra, except that was just for cocaine instead. So in an effort to build support, uh, you know, to build like a support system for his group, Masood set a bunch of public services in order. Uh, he split Pangir, the Pangir Valley up into 22 zones that were governed by a military commander of his choosing. So he wasn't just throwing some dickhead out there that was, you know, because his resume looked good. He wanted guys that he trusted uh-huh. running this area. Um, he set up, uh, and it wasn't just them. He had appointed civilian workers, full-blown judicial and, you know, congressional branches, basically, with judges, attorneys. You know, you have... Uh, you have attorneys for both fucking sides of cases and stuff. He is trying to set up a country. He's 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 in the, the very beginning of making an actual fucking country that can govern itself without outside intervention. Okay. Okay. Huh. He's setting up humanitarian groups, including uh, healthcare centers with doctors that have volunteered to come help from around the world. He's got fucking you got every everybody from nurses to pediatricians, to brain surgeons over here helping these people that need help. And he set all this shit up. <clears throat> um, so all of this made our fucking old buddy, Babrak Kamal, demand the Russians call off the truce and do something about the Mujahideen in the Panjir Valley. Because he's doing good shit, and we're not allowed to do good shit under communism. Because that defeats the fucking purpose. Uh-huh. You know? So the, the Soviets start making plans to bomb the dog piss out of the Panjir Valley. But thanks to his old buddies in England, uh, word got out to the uh, Mujahideen that the attack was coming. And he organized the, ex- the evacuation of 130,000 plus people from the valley up into the mountains before the attack came. So the Soviets are flying bombing missions. They're pounding it with artillery, this, that, the other. Um, they referred to the civilian loss in the area as, quote, negligible. So there's probably some old folks who are like, eh, fuck it. I'm too old to leave. Just, keep, you know, whatever. Well, it's below a certain number, whatever they feel is an acceptable I mean, loss. When you consider about 130,000 people got out, there's really not a lot of people left there. That's, so that's not too shabby. Like a thousand? Yeah, a couple thousand-ish. Which, Maybe. I mean, unfortunate, it's an unfortunate number, but it's a statistic it might, it at that point. Be, it might be even less than that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, hmm. But uh, Masood kind of expands his forces by taking the northern province of uh, Fakar and Takir, Takar, whatever it is, in August of 1986. So in November of that year, his boys capture the headquarters of the 20th Division of the Afghan government in Baglan. Um, and this is a big win for Masa- uh, Masood. Almost said Masad. No, they're Israeli. Um, the thing is, is Masad had some pretty highly trained guys under his for- under his thumb, including sixty ish. They didn't give it a, a specific number, but they said between sixty and seventy um, guys that had been smuggled through. Secret means, I guess, would be the word to use. Um, up to the Scottish Highlands, and they were trained by the fucking SAS. This dude had Afghan special forces before Afghan special forces were a thing. Oh, wow. Um, and these motherfuckers, like, these guys are doing some real secret squirrel stuff here. Um, not just in the valley, but they are operating upwards to 200 miles away 
like 200 kilometers away from their base of operations. And these guys are operating on their own with no direct command from him. They're just, he's like, go do what you need to do. You, obviously, you know what you need to do. And they're out there doing it. Um, so, yeah, obviously, we, with, between fucking Patty Maine and the Operation Nimrod episode, we know the kind of shenanigans that these guys are going to get up to. Yeah. Um, minus the cruising around in Jeep's trunk shooting Germans. Yes. Because um, they, they don't drink. Um, but, you know, the small unit tactics and shit like that. Makes it really hard to defend, especially when you're just like a baseline Russian soldier and these dudes that have been trained by one of the best special forces groups in the world uh-huh. roll in and just kick your dicks in. Oh, yeah. You're a fucking 19-year-old kid from wherever fucking vodka factory you were hatched in. Yeah, yeah. And these guys come in and just fuck you up. Exactly. There's not much you're doing. No. Um, uh, no, not at all. And, uh, I mean, he had some other guys that weren't trained specifically in combat, but they were more trained in the intelligence gathering part of it, where obviously they blend in because they're from there. Yeah. And they're sneaking around, fucking collecting information and all this and bringing it all back to them. So by May of 1988, Mikhail Gorbachev and his gross fucking birthmark start to pull the Russian forces out of Afghanistan. Um, He would call their involvement in Afghanistan, quote, a bleeding wound for the Soviet Union. Kind of was. I mean, history repeats itself uh, 20-ish years later. So, yeah. There's there's an article I read that they refer to Afghanistan as the graveyard of empires. Kind of makes sense. You go there and you don't do well. You know? I mean, I beg to differ that we weren't doing well. We were doing better than the news would let on. We were doing a lot better. But still... We were doing better for the people. Right. Right. But still, we weren't. Because there was no, you know, there was no, uh, no bullshit with the Taliban. The Taliban was gone. Yep. Until about six hours after we left. But then, but then the, the Taliban became a necessary evil. Right. Because of ISIS. ISIL, whatever. Who else created ISIL? No, we didn't create that. We didn't create we that. We kind of did, though. No, we didn't. Um, They're on their own. They fucking created themselves. So by mid-February 1989, the Soviets are all but gone from the country, um, which this this was a, a huge win. This is one of the most unlikely victories in the history of warfare for the Mujahideen, because these are just fucking goat farmers mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, and they fought off the Russians. Yeah. Not many other people can say they did that. No. Um, so after the pullout, the, uh, you know, of course, there's a power vacuum. And uh, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan, led by Muhammad Najibullah, uh, would kind of start taking the fight to the Mujahideen. Um, the Afghan military took all of the major cities back, and they were actually fighting better than when the Russians were there. Um, I don't know how why that works like that. Like once the Russians leave, they're like, okay. And they just picked up and actually knew what they were doing. Yeah. This didn't really last long though, because, uh, when the Soviet union fell, the Afghan communist party didn't stand around long after that and just crumbled in on itself. And this results in a secondary power vacuum where all of these tribal leaders are starting to try to take back over, which may sound familiar, you know, um, as to, yeah, <laughs> So not long after the government fell, 
uh, local governors turned over power to resistance leaders and warlords, and they try to form their own new government. Infighting gets fucking bad, and between 1992 and 1996, um, Hekmatar is trying to... He's basically starting another war to try and become the... Uh, the, the head of the country. Yeah. yeah. Uh, call him a dictator, call him president, whatever the fuck you yeah. want to call him. He is, he's doing his damnedest to, to do all this. Uh, he and Masood publicly butted heads and almost came to blows during cabinet meetings more than once. Um, a mediator was brought in to try to settle things down between these two. Um, and it seems like he wasn't actually a bipartisan party, like an outside party for it. Mm. Um, because he fucking hated Masood hated him uh and it also kind of helps that he had been fighting with fucking uh Hekmatar for years and they had become very close friends so he's he's not gonna be you know mediator at all yeah yeah, yeah. um it kind of turns out in the wrong in the long run that neither Masood or Hekmatar would really get what they wanted and uh the mediator would become the guy at the top Turns out Osama bin Laden has some uh, ulterior motives and uh, turned the two against each other to make his life a little bit easier. He was the outside outside mediator. Yeah, you know, yeah. That fucking giant freak. Smart. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, fucking look who, look who fucking created him, essentially. He's smart. He's crafty. He's fucking sneaky. Yeah. He, he was a CIA agent. I mean, come on. Google Google CIA operative Tim Osman right now. Let's see what happens. O-S-M-A-N is the last name. I'll wait. Okay. This will give time for our listeners to do it, too. Just punch in CIA Tim Osman. And tell me if he looks familiar, because uh, he's gonna. How do you spell the last name? O-S-M-A-N. Yeah, that's Osama Bin Laden. Like, a hundred fucking percent. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. He put the glasses down to the tip of his nose for this, too. He went full grandpa reading the newspaper. <laughs> uh, I can't see the fucking... <laughs> I can't... For these, these glasses uh, suck at you know, close oh. distance. People are saying it's fake, though. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because that looks like a fake photo. Okay. <laughs> You're trying to say that the CIA might not be able to fake photos? Yeah, I think so. I think they did fake a photo. Yeah. Well, in 1997, a State Department aide suggested that uh, Mahmoud, sh- uh, I'm sorry, Mahmoud, Masood should surrender to the Taliban. And he politely told them to eat shit. And in 1998, he was paid a visit by a, uh, a DIA agent, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is uh, fucking sister branch to the CIA, basically. They're like, they're the, the middle ground between the CIA and the NSA. You know, they're the the love child of the two. Um, and he told her about some ties that are being formed between this new group, the, Tal- well, the Taliban that's been around forever, and this other new group that's kind of up and coming, um, which is a, like an amalgamation of a lot of smaller Islamic terror groups. Uh-huh. So when she returned with all this information, um, she was fired. And all the warnings that he gave her were ignored. Um, the only time the U.S. would really have any use for him was when the CIA came to him 
trying to hunt down bin Laden after the 1998 embassy bombings in, uh, I believe it was in Nairobi or some shit like that. It was in, Af- in Africa somewhere. Um, and at this point in time, uh, I mean, this, this is fucked. Like, so in return for all the information he gave them as to where they could find bin Laden or people that were linked to him or anybody that knew him, he was given nothing. The U.S. and the EU both told him that they were not going to offer any support to him in his fight against the Taliban. Um, he had r- basically run his usefulness to completion um, for any Western countries. So uh, just like so many resources in the Middle East afterwards, like after we pulled out of Afghanistan and Iraq, um, we use these guys up and just leave them there. Um, and he forms Al Qaeda. Yeah. Uh, fucking countless translators and interpreters that we left in Afghanistan and Iraq after we left uh, fucking tortured and killed in the streets for helping, you know, thank you for your service. Fuck off now. So April of 2001 rolls around and the president of the uh, European parliament, Nicole uh, Fontaine, who called Massoud quote, uh, the pole of Liberty in Afghanistan. She's not wrong. She would invite Massoud, um, Oh, shit. So she invited Massoud with the support of the French and Belgian politicians to address the European Parliament in Brussels. Um, in his speech, he asked for humanitarian aid for the people of Afghanistan. Uh, Massoud further went on to warn the intelligence agencies of the world that he had limited knowledge of a potential large-scale terrorist attack that would be scheduled to take place within the next 12 months. Most likely in either England or the United States. Mm-hmm. So on September 9th of 2001, he sat down for an interview with uh, Damain Abid Al-Sattar and Baruki El-Kawir. It looks like queer. <laughs> Q-U-A-E-R. Uh, he also is, though. Um, so both were uh, Moroccan immigrants living in the Molenbeek area of, uh, of uh, I believe that's the Nether, no, Belgium? Molenbeek? Molenbeek? Yeah. Netherlands? I don't fucking know. Um, so they were getting, they were, they were antsy. They wanted to have a sit down with him. Um, and more than once when they spoke to his contacts, they said if the meeting didn't happen between the 8th and the 10th, they were going to leave because they wanted to interview him for um, a lot of uh, um, like uh, basic, it was basically trying to interview him for like Al Jazeera kind of deal. Um, and they're like, listen, if we can't talk to him between the 8th and the 10th, we're leaving. Uh-huh. So they finally get him to sit down. Um, he relents and he sits down in front of the camera. So uh, Baruki kind of sits behind the camera and uh, Al Sitar is off to the side asking questions as the interviewer. Because they don't want to, you don't need to see the interviewer. You need to see the guy that you're asking questions to. Um, as the questions are going, Baruki reaches up and hits the record button on the camera and it explodes, killing him instantly. Uh, two others that were in the room also. Um, and Masood is badly wounded at this point. Um, his guys rush into the building, scoop him up. Um, there's an ensuing gunfight between his security forces and Al Sitar, where Al Sitar got fucking shot to shit and died on the scene. They shot him so much. Um, but unfortunately, Masood would die in the helicopter as he's being rushed to a field hospital in Tajikistan. Um, 
The assassination of Massoud is considered to have a very strong connection to the September 11th attacks in 2001 on the World Trade Center. So in late 2001, a computer was seized, was stolen from an office used by Al-Qaeda immediately after the fall of Kabul in, in uh, November. The computer is mainly used by Amin al-Zawari. That's a fucking name I've heard before. Um, and contained the letter with the interviewer request from Massoud. The two assassins had completed military tra- uh, training uh, in training camps in Afghanistan around the end of 2000. And they were selected specifically for a suicide mission in the spring or early summer for the following year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the Afghan publicist Wahid Mazuda, uh, who worked for the Taliban in the foreign, uh, foreign affairs ministry confirmed the two assassins met with Al Qaeda officials in Kandahar and bin Laden and Al Zawari elsewhere, uh, before they left. Um, this is also pre Kandahar giant because that happened in like 2003 ish. Wow. So, Throwback to our most downloaded fucking episode of all time for some goddamn reason. So I figured maybe if we talk about Afghanistan again, get some numbers up. Maybe. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so following the assassination, bin Laden had an emissary deliver uh, Damin Abid al-Sitar's uh, al- widow a letter with $500 in an envelope to settle a debt. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. Here's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's 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 okay because his wife was kind of a piece of shit too because she was uh if I remember correctly she was like a suicide bomber groupie like she would find these dudes radicalize them fuck their brains out let them go kill themselves and move on to the next one she's like a black widow with semtex <laughs> okay so she's not any better she is a she is scum as well um so in Al Qaeda magazine and. In, in uh, Saudi Arabia, later published a biography of uh, Yusuf al Anawari, who headed Al Qaeda's operations in Saudi Arabia from 2002, um, which described Al Qaeda's involvement in the assassination. Uh, bin Laden commissioned the assassination attempt to appease the Taliban because of the imminent attacks on the U.S. Um, so basically, he had to give the Taliban what they wanted so that they didn't spill the beans on the fucking 9 11 attack coming. Mm. Um, the Taliban, of course, denied any involvement in the assassination. Um, and depending on who you ask, they either did or didn't know about it. Whatever. Um, Masood is the only chief, uh, the only chief Afghan leader who never left Afghanistan in his fight against the Soviet Union and later in the fight against the Taliban. Um, in areas under his direct control, such as the, uh, like the Panjir Valley, uh, some parts of Parwan and Takir, Massoud established democratic institutions. Uh, he was starting to build fucking schools and government buildings and shit. Again, he was he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, one, uh, my friend, my first thought here was not like, oh hey, this is Middle Eastern. Uh, one refugee who crammed his family of twenty seven into an old jeep to flee the Taliban to the area Masood described as Masood's territory in 1997 as the last tolerant corner of Afghanistan. Because usually when you cram that many people into a a vehicle, um, they're not Middle Eastern. No. and They're generally farm workers. (laughs) Or it's floating on water. That's Cubans. (laughs) Same difference, sort of, kind of? No, no, that's not not right. Uh, 
So in 2001, the Afghan interim government under President Hamad Karzai officially awarded Masood the title of Hero of the Afghan Nation, which he fucking was. Jesus. One analyst in 2004 said, one man holds a greater political punch than all 18 living Afghan presidential candidates combined. Though he, uh, though already, <clears throat> though already dead for three years since his death on September 9th, 2001 at the hands of two Al Qaeda Islamic radicals, Masood had been transformed from Mujahideen to national hero, if not saint. Uh, pictures of Masood, uh, the, uh, the Afghan Mujahideen who battled the Soviets, other warlords and the Taliban for more than 20 years, vastly outnumber those of other Afghans, including those of Karzai. Um, so this guy could have fucking posthumously been elected president. Yeah. Like very fucking easily. Um, there's a lot of really crazy shit that goes on here with him. Like, um, there's a major road in Kabul that's named, uh, great, Maha- uh, great Masood road. Um, a monument to Masood was installed outside of the U S embassy in Kabul, uh, Kabul, um, Magpul, uh, created a line of, uh, Masood, uh, accessories for seven, six, two NATO products. Um, so they named that after him. Uh, the, uh, the road near the Afghan embassy is a quote symbol of ties that binds the two nations that were always enjoyed excellent relations. Um, his friend can't make this up. His friend Abdullah Abdullah said that Masood was different from other guerrilla fighters. Quote, he is a hero who led a clear struggle for the values of the people in 2001 morning ceremonies at Moscow to honor the memory of a, of Ahmad Shah Massoud, uh, who was like, like obviously one at one point in time, their fucking like mortal enemy. Um, uh, a Colonel, uh, Abdul Qadir, uh, said, uh, though Massoud and I used to be enemies, I'm sure he deserves great respect as an outstanding military leader. And first of all, as a patriot to his country. So again, this is a, a clear cut case of one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. This fucking guy. You don't often pull for what a lot of people would refer to as the bad guys. I would say he's a bad guy. If this dude hadn't been killed, I don't think not. I don't think Afghanistan would have gone the way it did. Because I think we would have gone into Afghanistan. We would have had CIA operatives that would have like linked up with him and gone, oh shit, this is our guy. And we would have done everything we could to put him in power. And he would have fucking run that country the way it needed to be run. Yeah. Not the way it was. I don't think we would have been there for 20 years fighting. I uh, had this guy not died. I think it would have, it would have been a different story. Yeah, for sure. Because he, he was one of the good guys. Yeah. You know, like plain and simple. He was one of the good guys in a sea of dog shit. He was a fucking diamond. Yeah. You know, for sure. But, uh, yeah, that's what I got for, uh, Cool. Ahmad Masood. Very, very informative. Yeah. I, I, it was, I was fun. Like, I mean, I, I was, I, I was just listening the whole time. I mean, I, I can't, you know, I don't know, know nothing about it. So I, I didn't know shit about it until I yeah, started either. I'm like, I'm like, oh, cause I mean, I knew about the Afghan war, you know, with our, with, um, I should be more precise with the Soviets. <laughs> yeah, you can't say Afghan war and not yeah. be specific about which one. Yeah, but I, I didn't know they fought the English. Yeah, I knew that. I had no fucking clue. Like, I, I knew the English were fighting, you know, 
killing Zulus by the goddamn bushel because, you know, uh-uh. fighting people with spears with a fucking Maxim no, gun. No, but... they, uh, yeah, they did fight the, 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 uh, the British. But yeah, I, I didn't know much about it. I was like, cool, might as well, you know, cause growing up hearing about it, you know, but never really, I mean, I was young, didn't really care. Right. But, uh, yeah, with that said, uh, head on over to the studio, check them out. Bluetooth headphones, earbuds, all that good stuff. Put in your basket. Put the promo code of Dark Windows fifteen to get fifteen percent off your entire purchase. Also, head on over to another little place called Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Dark Windows Podcast. For five dollars, you get another episode of this fabulous shit. Yes, sir. And I need hence the shit. It's <laughs> mostly shit, but it's pretty decent, you know. Uh, and also, uh, you can check us out in your social media. You know, you know where to go. Facebook, all that good stuff. Uh, Dark Windows Podcast on Facebook. Dark Windows Pod on on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, let's see. Anything else? Uh, no, no that's, that's it. it. That's it. So uh, just because you can't see out in the dark doesn't mean the dark can't see into you. Yep. Until next time, motherfuckers. Get on goddamn Patreon. Goddamn. This next one's going to be good, too. Also sad. <laughs> Thank you.